Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. Thank you, Yavor, for joining us to share your story. Uh, thank you, Jen. Uh, sure, like I'm, I'm happy to to be part of your podcast, and uh, I admire this initiative, and I believe that it's very helpful. I can tell it's very helpful for me because I myself have heard already close to maybe a twenty of your podcasts. And so you're someone who is seeking HSCT, is that right? Yes. So okay. I'm curious to know about your diagnosis story and the autoimmune disease that you're battling? Yes, my story is, uh, you know, one another patient with MS who uh, officially got diagnosed close to eight years ago now. So in uh, December 2013 uh, with the so-called CIS. As we know, that's how the you know, the neurologist approach you in the beginning until they're completely sure that you actually have it. Um, and later on, like in a matter of another six months, I believe, on the next MRI I had, it was already clear that I had more lesions. So, mm. so that's when they, they officially uh, tell you that you have MS. So what were your symptoms leading up to that? You know, the more years pass, the more knowledge I have, the deeper I understand how this may have played out throughout the years and my childhood even. And um, officially, my first symptom was a year before I got diagnosed with a CIS. Um, I had that classic symptom of blurry vision in one of my eyes. Uh, So that must have been like November 2012. Then... It disappeared, of course. I had that uh, uh, direct analogy that maybe a snowflake <laughs> scratched my eye or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Speaking of snowflakes, right? This is a snowflake story now. And then I think the next month I had it again in my other eye. And of course, it didn't last too long. At the time, uh, I was uh, also swimming a lot. Uh, I, I thought I scratched my eye, which was definitely not the case. And then uh, one year later, as we like saying, uh, on a sunny morning, I woke up and uh, I felt a little numbness in my left uh, thumb, of my left arm, right? Then I didn't really pay attention too much. I thought, yeah, that's, you know, it's gonna go away. A little that I knew uh, already the next morning, that numbness, was not only on the thumb, it was more like taking over like half of my palm, left palm. Uh, there was also tingling already. And uh, I still thought um, I might have pinched a nerve. You know, another classic explanation for a rookie MS uh, patient. Yeah, for sure. Right? We just, that's how we, we react as human beings. We just try to 
avoid the obvious fear that something bigger might be happening. Being able to conquer that fear is very important for, for everybody, no matter if they're having any chronic condition or not. They, they, they shouldn't be just hiding, how to say, closets in, in the basement. Sure. I mean, sorry, uh, skeletons in the closet. So the earlier you act and try to see what really is going on, the better. And the stronger personality you're going to build and the more adequate you're going to react. I so, couldn't agree more. Uh, it's so true. It's um, such an important skill to build and develop. And the more we know, right, then the more empowered we can become and more. Right. That's that's literally what I think is, is the best line of action you can do. And just accept that you it is what it is and you do the best you can uh, and uh, see what results you can achieve. So later on, I uh, think maybe the third or fourth day, things got really, uh, have really progressed. You know, the funny things or uh, the jokes of the faith was that I was feeling fantastic in those days, like I would say in top shape uh, physically. That's what I thought, of course, because as I mentioned, I was swimming, like competing, and I was about to go on a competition that, following weekend. I remember it was like mid-December, right? So it was just a week before Christmas when I had to go to a competition. And and then that thing hit me. And in a matter of a few days, my entire uh, forearm was very stiff. Like it, it felt like the muscles are constantly contracted, uh, tingling and uh, numbness, you know, all those stuff. I don't think that anybody will be surprised about that. And uh, the, the biggest problem was I couldn't even lift my my hand above the shoulder. Mm, that's a problem for swimming. <laughs> I agree. He ended up uh, being quite problematic for competing, that's for sure. So at some point, uh, one very intelligent colleague, colleague of mine, he's like, well, I think now is the time to go and check what's going on. <laughs> so right. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> I, I went to um, I went to one of the hospitals here. The problem was, as I'm saying, like I, I had a really good mood and I was acting very positively. And uh, when the doctor saw me, he's like, I could see he had like ten folders holding his hands and was very stressed out. And his immediate uh, understanding was that I'm like a, a kid that's playing around. Mind you, at that age, I was, I was 25 back then. And, and he's like, oh, you're fine. Just continue swimming and drink vitamins. Oh, that was, no. I, that's exactly what he said. I'm not even joking. And because at that time I was so soft and not really understanding what the case was. And, of course, trying to avoid the, the fear that something serious is happening. I went back home. But then... It continued. So it started taking over now the entire left side of the body. Uh, I started feeling numb around my chest area. And uh, I, I can't recall any fatigue kicked in at that point. I don't think yet. But uh, in any case, somebody, um, some of my friends here suggested that I should just call an ambulance so they can take me seriously that something's going on. And see a different doctor. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I called an ambulance and the thing is that they would have also brushed me away at that point, but 
the whole thing with one side not feeling good and being numb, they started being afraid I may have a, a stroke. Oh, wow. So honestly, that's the only reason they took me in the, in the ambulance. And then they took me to one of the hospitals here in Toronto. Of course, the weight was crazy. They know, like I didn't have too much priority. But at some point, uh, once I got inside, uh, I was also very lucky to, to see some young and uh, ambitious doctors, maybe just not quite fully certified. So they were trying to prove themselves in front of the big doctor there, whoever that was. And then they started testing me in variety of ways. Uh, of ways. They took, of course, uh, blood, check it, some exercises. Uh, and then the way they, they finally figured it could be MS or something that uh, attracted their attention was, um, you know that exam when you try to touch a finger of the person against you and then touch your nose? Yes. I, I couldn't do it. Like I, I couldn't touch with my left hand, right? I couldn't touch that person's whatever finger in my nose. I would like poke my eye almost. So at that point I realized, okay, something's going on there. And then the other symptom was when you have to flip flop your, your hand through your palm uh, over the other one. I couldn't do it. It was very slow and, and sloppy. So uh, at this point, uh, the doctors took it seriously. The big doctor came. I slept in the hospital. The big doctor came next morning. He's like, okay, we're going to prescribe you MRI, you know, just to see what's going on. Uh, and that's how we, you know, that's how they figured it out. Uh, funny enough, there was uh, Christmas. So that's, that was my <laughs> Santa Claus uh, present that uh, year. Not exactly the present you're hoping for. I guess I wasn't a good boy, you know, <laughs> conclusion. I don't know about that, but at least it was a fast diagnosis and you didn't wait years like some people. You know what? I've thought about this many times um, and I, I, I can clearly tell and, and I can clearly say what I think about it. And I'm pretty sure that's the case. It's just that my culture, as I'm, uh, I'm Bulgarian, by origin and I, I was born and raised there. So I came in uh, North America. Like actually I was in the States first for a couple of years when I was 21, 22 ish. And then I immigrated to Canada. Uh, and then uh, what I noticed here, like local culture is, you know, they tend to, to believe more in the, in the doctors. They tend to, to listen, not to rebel as much, you know, the, the whole system works, I would say better, but at the same time, when you're so complacent, you just become manipulated. So here's what the difference is between, uh, East Europeans, or at least from the generation that I, uh, I was born and sure. before me, we don't listen too much. <laughs> That's good and bad side, but in this case played, played a really good role me because it sounds as though at least in the brief interactions we've had um as part of our community gatherings through hset warriors and it's so great to see you there you've really taken control of your symptoms or at least the disease experience you're having it seems as though um by you know nourishing your body with the right food and diet and also vitamins so maybe talk a little bit about how you came to find that path after diagnosis, because you've 
like you said, you've been living with this now for what, eight years and you're just now finding HSCT as an option? Yes, um, um, absolutely. There was, of course, just like all of us um, with those autoimmune conditions and other conditions, we had like a, a major story. Um, what happened afterwards after I got the diagnosis is again, what I like saying, a classic behavior of a, of a new, newly diagnosed patient is the rejection phase where, in fact, the earlier you, you come out of that, the better outcome you're going to have on your condition uh, if there is outcome at all. Because as we know, we're told this is incurable. That's what happened in the, yeah. in the hospital. A nice, uh, mature doctor came by me and, and said, oh, we got to talk, you know, and then they were very serious. This is it, pretty much, your life changed. And I was still in a really good mood, like, you know, I can't move my arm, but I'm like happy. And like, I was still feeling upbeat. Anyways, they load you with this expectation that this is your destiny and that's it. There's not too much you can do. And if you fall for that path and you listen to, to what you've been offered and suggested, you won't you won't go too far, right? In, uh, right in in this battle against uh, against the MS and the whole system in general, as we're gonna go deeper in talking about for sure. Well, complacency is a great way to describe it. Yeah, it's something you don't want to have when you are in, in in such a situation where you have this condition. You just you it, it's really backfiring big time. So uh, yeah. So what did you do? So yes, I um, of course it, my immediate first one or two years uh, were more like uh, uneducated and uh, very raw type of discomplacency, if I can say. Uh, in a way, I didn't take pretty much almost any. I didn't make any changes in my life uh, lifestyle. I tried to be to be calmer, you know, but it wasn't very successful. It was better than before. Um, however, I decided to go back to Bulgaria for like two months after the diagnosis, so late late February in 2014. I decided to go to uh, Bulgaria and rest six months because at that point I felt tired. Like I felt like the month of January was horrific mm. after I got out of the hospital. I'm not sure if it was the corticosteroids. By the way, here's a moment to say that these steroids just, I... It was horrible on my body. I had rash on my left hand and shoulder, exactly mm-hmm. the same one with MS symptoms. It became itchy and and these pumpels stayed for months afterwards and almost left me scars even at some point. I was like, oof, what's going on here? Yeah, steroids, no good. Yeah. And then I spent six months in Bulgaria where uh, things started getting better. Uh, I also remember it was very, very cold winter here in, uh, in Toronto, uh, very icy. So just a change of environment in going into a warmer climate. Uh, there are also four seasons in Bulgaria, just for information. But it was warmer. And of course, I was back with my family, um, friends, and I had some money. So I just, you know, I got out of this whole situation of new immigrants who just, just became a 
you know, a resident and then became sick and has to work three or four jobs or whatever into full rest and, and social environment. So definitely that, that was amazing idea. Things got better throughout these six months. So sometime in the summer, I had again, this, um, problem with the vision, like, like I really had some blind spots in both of my eyes especially on a sunny day, that would be pretty bad. But they went away, and I have never had them ever since. Hmm. Right? It, I found it interesting. And then, then, of course, when I came back here in Canada in September 2014, it's when uh, all my, uh, you know, I felt the heavy, the heavy burden of MS. It seems that the change of um, environment was very difficult on, on me, on my body to, and mind to get used to it. Mm. Here's a moment to add that when I went back to Bulgaria for three weeks, I couldn't sleep and there was something unusual and I lost my appetite completely. So I, I barely ate and I always had good appetite in my life. Um, so something was big, like there was some huge change in, in what happened in my body. It was obvious. And then later on, uh, like when I came back in Canada, uh, I had to, you know, continue working. I had to change jobs and felt so many symptoms. I started experiencing the fatigue. Uh, then there was depression kicking in, which I wasn't accustomed to, of course. Uh, then I just started falling for these doctor's uh, paths where you go and you raise your tone. Then once you do that, they pretty much send you to a F wing. <laughs> Funny enough, the F wing. Mm. And and that's the psychiatry in the hospital that I was diagnosed. And then, of course, they started treating me for depression. They, they started suggesting me some of these antidepressant pills. I'm like, no way. Like, I, this is this is not happening. I just said I can't do that. I didn't want to take any pills. But at the same time, I could feel I'm um, I'm progressing, and I could feel that my emotional state is very fragile as well. Um, there were no answers. Uh, I was in a dead end street. I could feel, I, I didn't really know what to do. Then I had a big change in my personal life, um, which actually helped me big time. So my previous girlfriend, uh, at the time, uh, with whom we still remain good friends, by the way, clearly she couldn't handle what's going on. And, uh, I can blame her for that. Nobody could have that information at that time. So I was lucky enough to meet a more supportive uh, girlfriend who suggested me to change my diet. That was her biggest contribution, I should say, for yes, because it, it did change my uh, lifestyle. It did change my view over what I should do. And it gave me time to figure out other solutions because I, was, I could feel after the end of 2014, I was rapidly um, progressing throughout 2015, you could feel the mood swings were terrible, energy levels were like off. You have like over like an enormous amount of energy one day, which I believe is because of the regeneration, over regeneration of the myelin shield. And then other days when the shield is, is not as much around your cells or when you're under attack by your own immune system. And that's when you would feel extremely tired. I had days where I couldn't get off the bed until 3 a.m. At uh, 3 p.m. Sorry, that's so and these, hard. 
Absolutely. And it's, you know, for a young person and very active person, all of a sudden to be facing such a situation and being far from uh, your homeland. And I, I just didn't know what to do. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's very isolating. Uh, absolutely. So that girl suggested a diet, not before she suggested I started the, uh, the DMT, which I was fighting against not to take. However, two years after diagnosis, so let's say actually exactly on the 1st of, of, first of uh, January 2016 is when I started uh, Copaxon. I, I remember now back in 2014, I tried Avonex, but it was horrible. I, I couldn't last more than a few weeks and I stopped it. Then in first of January, on 1st of January 2016, I began uh, taking Copaxone. And I don't know if anybody has had that same effect, but I had great time for two months. I felt like I didn't have disease at all. It's like the whatever was causing damage in my body just stopped working. Huh. I could feel it. I was feeling calm and, and fine. That's great that it worked that way for you. Yes. So there was another big bonus. But it was exactly two months. I remember at the end of February, things just got back to normal. And eventually, by the end of 2015, I was feeling just like before. And that's when I started the diet of uh, Dr. Walls. Got it. So you dropped out a lot of sugar from your life? I got to be honest, I really like beer. (laughs) (laughs) So all that, all the gluten, all the sugar, you know, all the bad, all the good stuff, <laughs> all the taste right. stuff disappeared, which had amazing, uh, like, the, the thing is, if anybody starts doing that uh, diet, my advice is not to max it out. It's, you know, eventually you will max it out, but try to do it gradually because then most likely you will experience better uh, effect of it. I was too worried that I'm progressing and I'm going to be incapable of taking care of myself. And I maxed it out kind of quickly within three months, let's say, because if I started in January, I don't know if you know, but there are three levels of this diet. So first level, you take some bad food out, second level, even more, and then you introduce other good stuff. And the third level, which I'm on right now, is where uh, you pretty much rely on uh, having 70, 75% or around 70% of your uh, energy or your calories coming from fats, from good fats. So I can talk a lot about uh, that. Um, what I eat is any type of uh, greens. So like I call them greens, but they're like leafy greens, like kale, cabbage, uh, spinach, not as much because uh, it's, my parents is bad for the gout and I have gout. Here's the moment to mention that. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's high in iron, so you've got to be careful. Uh, yes, it's good with iron for, for my... Uh, yeah, recently we talked about that. I'm, I have anemia as well, or beginner's anemia, so I don't even know what's, where spinach is qualifying on my uh, daily regimen. Anyhow, uh, you've got to have salads every day, so I eat twice a day, and I pretty much have the same structure of my meal. You got to have, let's say, half a bowl of uh, greens. And I put a lot of olive oil. I usually count to five. So I go like one circle, second, third, fourth, fifth. Then on the side, I add about, how do you call this, tablespoon of uh, coconut oil. And um, I also 
eat a quarter of a coconut, a can of coconut milk. So this is each meal. I have to have that. And it took me quite a while to figure out how much, how much fats I want to eat. Sure. Because, yeah, I was overdoing it. At some point I was taking like, I don't even know, like two cans of coconut milk, milk per meal. Oh, wow. Extra. Yeah. And even more like then a lot of olive oil and it was just fat like crazy. So it's very interesting because my body reacts when there is some change. I have that boost effect of 48 hours of feeling amazing. It's like jet effect. And even my eyes, I start feeling better. I can, I can see better at some point because I wear glasses and then I, I feel like I don't even need them that much. But then everything goes back, right? In a matter of 48 hours. Fascinating. And what about your swimming? Have you noticed a difference there? Oh yeah, big time. So I swam uh, competitively as a kid. I started when I was six. Now I'm 33, turning 34 next year in March. And I started when I was six um, competing. You know, I was sort of talented. So uh, I stuck to it. And uh, I guess the coaches saw some potential in me. And uh, that's where my social environment was. I, I still, I'm still big friends with a lot of my uh, ex uh, co swimmers, teammates. And it gave me discipline, uh, which I do use now. And I do think that's what's saving me. I don't have problem waking up early, going to the, doing some maybe exercise at home or at the gym and then going straight to swim. That's what I used to do before COVID. Now I kind of tend to do it at home and then and I go for the swimming pool. I could do, let's say in the beginning, first years of MS, maybe 2000, 14, 15, on 15, 15, 16, on a good day, I was doing uh, marathons. The, the longest I've done is 10 kilometers, and I could handle that. Now it's not the case. Like I just get tired at some point. My arm, my arm gets uh, stiff, tired, and just you can tell any any activity or even any thought becomes too much. Because everything goes through the through the brain, right? And when these the brain the brain cells for some reason are challenged, like in this case MS, uh, they just at some point they can't. You need to give them a rest. And if you don't, that's when you start damaging them severely. So with the time I learned, okay, I feel like this is too much. You drop everything. You don't look at the screen of a, of a TV, of your phone, of your laptop. You just sit and rest. You can maybe maybe read a book, but even if that's too much, then you just do nothing. It can be restorative, that's for sure. Yeah. So further to go further with the swimming, um, that's uh, definitely if if you if you are uh, capable of doing exercises or whatever as much as you can. That's that's number two after the diet. I would say, um, and I do think that the diet combined with my active lifestyle, not as active as before, of course, but doing the best I can, um, definitely slow down the progression to a point where I have time to figure out solutions and to contact um, amazing resources like your podcast and uh, yourself. Jen, for which I should be very thankful. You're kind. I'm um, 
curious to know, though, how long were you on Copaxone and when do you feel it stopped working for you? Have you tried anything else? And how did you even no. co- how did you even come to find HSCT? So the Copaxone, the reason I, I decided to try that one was because it seemed to be very light and doesn't require any blood tests like others are heavier and then they can they have huge side effects uh, on the long term. So I tried it. Then once it had amazing effect, I just, I was afraid to drop it because I, you know, if you stop it all of a sudden, you may end up getting worse and then you won't be able to regret anymore. So I just continued. I'm still on Copaxone even now. Up to this year, I never missed a day from take, for taking Copaxone. So from 2016, 1st of January until 1st of January, 2021, that's five years, I did not miss one day. Wow, that's a lot of injections. Yes, and that's, I think that's the key for, not the injections, but that's the key for how I managed to sustain what I, you know, my condition. Sure, yeah, consistency is key. It is the the thing that I learned as a teenager, as a swimmer, to relate it back to the subject of swimming, and and that's it. So I do my diet. I do my life, like active lifestyle. I do my job eight to four. I do my injection um, and try to stay calm. And it, apparently that's working. So yesterday I heard one of your podcasts and um, so I forgot her name, uh, but she was saying very similar stuff to what I'm saying right now. And um just be consistent and add something to yourself, to your lifestyle, which you figure that it's working and keep it. Then just test something else. And if it works, keep it as well. And that's it. Don't, don't get, you know, sloppy. Don't get messy. Don't be forgetful of uh, what you're facing. Just add pluses on your side. I love that. So how did you come to find HSCT as an option to consider? Um, that's an interesting story. Uh, funny enough, I was talking to my mother this morning and she asked me that same question. <laughs> uh, she's in Bulgaria. Just before I explain that, I just want to finish the subject for the, for the food, because I think it's important for whoever is going to listen to the podcast. And, um, it's important that, uh, except the, the, the fats you're taking and the greens, you want to add, um, meat which is so apparently this this diet doesn't work for like in a vegetarian option you want to have some sort of protein so make sure the protein you buying is top level like top quality this sure. is my by far my biggest expense on a day-to-day basis so i'm buying this 100 percent grass-fed beef uh, it's good if you see like a farmer or just go to farmer's market. I have one very close, like 10 minutes bicycle ride from my house and they're awesome people. And they're willing to, you know, to feed the people in the, the way it's supposed to be done, not in that twisted 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not to go further. Mass production. Exactly. So always find ways to get the best meat you can get. That's crucial because if you get just the regular quality, that's not really meat. They're, they're full of 
antibiotics, the lifestyle they've had is terrible, hormone levels are off the charts. Um, literally, I've read books and there's the, these animals that are slaughtered and sell for mass production. They're just about to die when they get slaughtered. <laughs> so you can imagine what type of, of meat we're talking about. It, what happens is when you feed a cow with, with sometimes they feed them with different particles of, particles of other cows, which is disgusting to think about. And then they eat corn which, because it's so cheap and it's also genetically modified to begin with and it's full of gas in the soil. It's just so many bad stuff. And that creates gases in their stomachs. And these gases uh, inflate you know, the entire you know, body and then they start suffocating. The cows become, they're about to die. And that's when they start pumping them with hormones or antibiotics so they don't die, so they can get them to grow even more, so they can gain more money. So when you think about this and you go next time to buy regular meat from the store, I suggest you don't. So right there's something to be yeah well there's something to be said for that quality and and nourishing your body with something that's been well nourished whether it's from the earth or a farmer absolutely and um, unfortunately i think states is one of the worst places for that where the, the the meat is the most you know treated in a negative way Europe is also bad, but not as bad. And uh, and then other places, I'm not so sure. So well, yeah, well, you've uh, been you've been controlling things relatively well with your diet, your chosen diet, and so yeah. How did HSCT ever get on your radar? I think the major thing is for what I do is that pre precognition. So it's like trying to figure out things before they actually happen or read the earliest symptoms of something going on. So don't be ignorant and and wait until things go bad. And then, oh, I got to react. Yeah, you, you can react, but things already have worsened mm. quite a bit. So that's a major skill uh, for staying uh, afloat, I should say. Now, regarding HSCT, I, I have to be honest, I wasn't that much proactive into finding that I can sort of blame my, you know, weaknesses of also not changing fast enough. It should have been better. And also here's the downfall of my second relationship I mentioned where that the woman um, advised me to take the diet. But then the moment I was pushing for more like treatments, like the, the breakthroughs in the, in the medical world, she would cut me down and discourage me and uh, unfortunately just not support me. Absolutely. Which eventually led to this uh, determination of that uh, relationship. However, um, I remember during um, some of my trips to Bulgaria, so for like 11 years, I've been there five times maybe. Uh, I was in touch with uh, some MS patients there. And again, this is the, the East European side where People don't listen too much, and that's where they, they start communicating between each other mm. uh, rather than trusting what the doctors are saying. Uh, and then I heard it from uh, one lady that she gave me some Copaxone. I was asking for more to have some reserves. And um, 
she just gave me, you know, a bunch of it. And she said, there is some treatment in, uh, uh, in Russia. Cause everybody talks about Russia there. No way. Sure. And, and, uh, and Mexico maybe sometimes I mentioned, but predominantly people prefer going to Moscow. Uh, then I kind of heard it, but then the moment she said chemotherapy, I reacted like a lot of other people where they just don't really, you get, they get afraid. They think, Oh, that's too much. Sure. And at the time I was, I was, at the time I was dealing better. I had, you know, the diet was so, so working. I was feeling active and I was like, I'm fine. Like I'm happy, you know, um, I could tell I had bad days, but still, you get in that habit of not seeing how you regress, right? And I think all of us know that, and this is a very dangerous path, which you don't want to be on. You have to be proactive and figuring out possible ways for uh, for thriving, not for just surviving. Right, yeah, and it is so hard to notice yourself. Exactly, you get in that comfortable zone, so uh, I didn't pay too much attention when that lady told me. Then second one, which was in another city back in Bulgaria, uh, she suggested, you know, the same idea. And she said, oh, she was direct. Yeah, you, you go there. If you have the money, you go there, you do it. And if you survive, then you can be great. If you don't survive, well, you tried. Oh, <laughs> That's wow. what she said. Yeah. So now that I know the mortality rate is way lower than, you know, you would imagine, but people have to be informed that there is such such a percentage, of course. And I think, I don't know, with among all of the MS patients, if they know that there is a huge chance of stopping the progression and maybe feeling even better than they are right now, majority would be just, that's fine, I'll take the chance. That's, there's no question. What do you think, Jen? I would agree with that. It's the, it's like making that informed decision, right? And giving people the information to make the best decision for themselves. So, um, from there on, um, here's a moment to say that I did the stem cell therapy in Panama, uh, 10 months ago. I did it in late December last year. So after I became, you know, single, then I had good time to think about it to think what to do. And I, I managed to encourage myself to, to do some, something new, to do a therapy. Because honestly, last year, 2020 in June, I started feeling more tired than usual. Like some, something just dropped, like I could tell. So COVID hit in March last year and I was okay. May, I, I went back to Bulgaria and then in June, two, three weeks afterwards, I just started feeling more tired and it was another level of fatigue. Here's a, the moment to say that my major symptoms are fatigue and uh, brain fog. Um, and I, uh, you know, I don't have any mobility issues, knock on wood. Uh, however, the fatigue, I've had horrible days where if I push myself, then I just have to lay on bed for like two hours. I just have to sleep. It's even, even sleeping doesn't feel nice. It just, there is nothing you can do. Right. That's how tired your nervous system is. So at that point, I, I felt not very good. Like I couldn't enjoy life. Like I could tell this is below the level of the life I want to be living. And 
it didn't take me too long. By end of August, when I was about to go back to Canada, I uh, realized that I want to do something new, which was that Panama stem cell uh, infusion. Um, the price was, you know, it's quite expensive, 25,000 American dollars. And um, you go to Panama City there, it's four days only, uh, two or three other days they inject you. In fact, I have some videos from me in Panama and the immediate reaction and how things go. So uh, I, as usual, as I told you, like when there is something new with me, I have that immediate positive effect. Even now, if I go and eat fast food, I'll feel great maybe for some time. <laughs> just because, yeah, it's something different. But then essentially you will, you know, get on the pattern of having too much bad stuff in your system and sure. it's get worse. So as they were infusing that, these stem cells, because it takes about half an hour per day, I started feeling better right away. Like immediately. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what's going on here? Are you, are you give me some new, new steroids and stuff. Uh, so they go uh, through the veins, right? in one of your hands. And they also gave me um, two injections on like in the lower abdomen on, on the sides, like on left and the right side. I got, I'm gonna lie to you, but something like, I don't know, total of 120 or 135 million cells, whatever that really means that I don't really understand what it means. That's a lot. So it's a mesenchymal stem cells therapy. You know, it gave me amazing, it gave me amazing boost right away that first day because right after they, they, they gave me the stem cells, the first time I went to the swimming pool because there is a beautiful swimming pool. I started swimming there and I felt, oh, well, I'm swimming amazing. I could feel that like the, the technique is better. My breathing is better. It's not so challenged. Like I'm endure, like endurable. Um, then I started talking to some people and it was sunny. I'm like, oh, I had to crash, like I am crashing. This is impossible not to crash. For so much swimming, some activities, I had time crashing. Then I went to my uh, room and instead of crashing, I just felt how I'm recovering, you know? Oh, That's wow. the feeling, this is really, this is what MS does to you. It's not that it, it, you know, it doesn't really get you tired. It just doesn't allow your body to recover. That's how I feel it. So. We all get tired from whatever we do, but as we're using energy, your body, the healthy body recovers it. So if you use one point of energy, as you use it, quarter or, or half of it is already recovered. And this is where MS does the damage is when you don't get that half a point, maybe you get nothing. And then eventually when you run out of energy, you crash. So you need yeah. to stop. Yeah. And that's hard to recover. Yeah. So. Once I, I had that, you know, stem cell, I then in the room, I just couldn't sleep. I just felt amazing. I started walking around the city. I, I walked with heavy backpack and I could tell with my normal self, walking with such a backpack, I'm going to be exhausted in a matter of half an hour maximum. And instead, I felt amazing. I went back to the hotel. I swam second time, even faster and better. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And uh, I could tell this is helping. It did help me. Unfortunately, what happened afterwards was um, I had that day, these days where I had severe headache, something that I've never felt before, and uh, and and also fatigue, lack of mood. It seemed that 
these cells were working, definitely doing their job, but something is, is pushing them back, which most mm. likely is that my own immune system just being too aggressive. It just it was something new which couldn't last too long. It's like I, I like saying that it's like pressing the both the pedal of the gas and, and the brake. At the same time, sure. So essentially it lasted about five to six months this year, pretty much, where I had some amazing moments. I felt like I'm totally healthy, energetic, full of mood. Um, swimming was great. I even had some sort of a relationship, which now I'm, I really don't have desire for anything like that. My sexual drive is so low. It's at its lowest maybe, or it was, it's second lowest after last fall. So what, what I missed to say was once I came back to Canada in August, September last year, those months were terrible. September, October, November last year before I went to um, Panama. And I also had COVID in December just before going oh, to Panama. Wow. Yeah. So that was damaging. I had some pain in my lungs for some time, but I think the stem cells definitely helped in that manner. It cured me and the hot air in uh, Panama rather than being here in, in cold Canada also sure. helped me. So I got lucky there. And now I'm back to some mediocre, like in between level of energy where I'm not what it was last year in the fall, where I was at my lowest ever, but I'm not definitely not where I was when the stem cells were working. Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to brainstorm it and maybe say that the stem cells might have might maybe has some effect still like I, I can't tell but the top effect where i feel completely fine is gone definitely and also those days where i have the severe headaches are also gone but i don't have that bottom level of fatigue and so did you start revisiting the suggestions about russia so eventually what happened was in March when I started having these severe headaches this year, I remembered what those ladies told me about chemotherapy. Mm. And knowing that the Panama, mind you, I was very oblivious and not knowing what's going on with those therapies. In March, I, I started questioning, okay, so Panama City doesn't offer the chemotherapy. It's only stem cells. Then what's going to be, like, what is that chemo now? Where does it qualify? What are we talking about here? Then I started researching online and then some websites about chemotherapy and that HACT started appearing first time for mm. me. was happening in Britain, but it's not really recommended or it's, it's been tested still, something like that. And then I continued researching and then an interesting list with several countries. I don't know who created that list, but it's genius. <laughs> and I saw several countries with this HSCT. At that point, I was still not sure what HSCT was, but I'm like, okay, I see Russia and Mexico there, and I knew those countries have it. So, okay, it might be that same therapy which those ladies were talking about. Then I saw Singapore, then I saw America, then I saw uh, Sweden, Italy, South uh, Africa even. So, I, Canada. I, uh, Canada, Canada, they do have it, and it's really, it's really hard to get, get in line. I asked them, 
here and it was a huge problem. If you want to go into talking about the doctors, Mm -hmm. I think we need another three, four hours of this podcast. (laughs) But essentially, uh, I was sure they're not going to accept me. Like, I just know how things go in Canada. I've been long enough here. I've been playing around with the doctors, with the system. Like, I know what they're going to say before they even tell me. Like, I just know how they view me and view the, the, the whole situation around MS and whose interests we're pressure, pressuring and whose we're not. So I honestly, the only reason I wanted to get HSCT here was to be refused to do it so I can get a letter from the doctor that HSCT cannot be done on me here in Canada. So I need to go somewhere else. And then I can get four months off my work. So I can get paid paid time off, so I can go earlier to my therapy. Unfortunately, this plan doesn't seem to be working, as the doctors are not very uh, cooperative, and uh, I'll just have to wait and maybe do it in July or August next year. That's, that's my plan in Moscow. So you've decided on Moscow? Yes. Um, it seems that uh, this is a, a more natural decision for me. Uh, considering I did one therapy here in uh, Panama, in the you know Latin world, and now I think it's time to counterbalance a little bit, spending some time and resources in the uh, in the Eastern world and uh, see how they act. Essentially, uh, I this is what I should say. Uh, both places seem to be very nice, both Mexico and uh, and Russia. I, I I was part of some webinars in uh, in the the one in Mexico. They definitely seem to know what they're doing. They're encouraging uh, people, you know, to to do it if they can, and they're also very uh, supportive there. Um, I'm sure the customer service is top level, just like it was in Panama. You know, they're they're nice people. And uh, for Moscow, what I can tell, I've been in touch with Anastasia for several, you know, or Anastasia. You know, English uh, speaking way. <laughs> sure. And um, I managed to get in contact with uh, Dr. Federenko himself. I actually had a conversation over the phone, over WhatsApp for 15 minutes, which is amazing. It's, you know, like to get a doctor here in Canada over the phone. Mm, right. mission, forget it. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And then here's the thing I have to say. I, I was doubting, okay, doctor, like I don't feel too bad, like uh, especially with these stem cells and all that. And uh, ask him, should I do it or not? Should I come for testing? This is actually something you can do in Mexico too. You can do it. You can go just for testing and then come back uh, from wherever you live for not too much of money, six to 800 US dollars, something like that. In, and Dr. Federenko on his side in Russia, he asked me, his first question was, do you have any lesions in your spinal cord? I'm like, yeah, and that's the biggest and the most active, the one that's causing my left arm to be, you know, what is happening to it. And he said, well, generally these cases progress. Eventually you may feel great, but eventually these things can turn around really quick. And that, that was enough. From there on, the conversation was close to pointless because then I realized that I'm going to go. And um, the way I'm, you know, collecting money is uh, I posted this GoFundMe in March or April last uh, this year, I haven't collected too much money. It's about 10, 15%, maybe it's still something. And uh, the remainder I'm planning to use my own uh, line of credit here, credits from Canada, and then uh, 
hopefully once I'm done with the therapy, if I feel better to pay them off and that's it. Sure. So are you scheduled for the summer? And is that because of your work? That's the best time for you to go? I, I'm scheduled honestly for uh, March right now, funny enough. But that was my plan of getting four months paid leave, which would be exactly March, April, May and June at the end of the school year. So I'm a teacher here at the moment to say, but it doesn't seem that that's going to happen. So the best time for me is to play low a little bit longer and um, get to do that therapy in the summer. So save a little bit of money so I can, you know, be sure that I have uh, some money to pay off the interests for at least 12 months, maybe. And my plan is to go in maybe August. I'm, I'm still feeling this out with Anastasia. And, um, and then spend three months uh, or four months in uh, Bulgaria. You know, for Christmas, day for Christmas. And recover. Exactly. It's good you have the support system there for you to spend in recovery. Absolutely. Uh, You know what? Speaking of support, here's the moment I have to say that. And what a lot of your uh, interviewed uh, individuals share is that uh, you got to be your own advocate. There is no way around it. Don't beat around the bush. Don't rely on other people. They can help. Yes, they can support you. But you are the engine. You are the mind. You are the person that has to drive this entire whatever thing is happening into the proper direction. And if you fail to do that, there's nobody to blame. And and it's just, it's quite unfortunate. But try to do your best. It's amazing that despite the brain fog and the fatigue and all the depression and everything that comes with MS, right? It's amazing to find the capacity to become that own self-advocate because it's critical for the journey. I think, and I knew this long ago, and it's known like people know it. Uh, People don't really know their own strengths. They just don't know their own capacity. It, there are many breaking points in a person's life, and and eventually you you, you get better. You you heal yourself, and you become stronger. It, it's just so it's so well known. People know it, but still they're afraid of stepping forward. That's it. Just don't be afraid and and do do the thing. It's, it, you is like you gotta have that inside compass that tells you what's the right thing to do and just go ahead and do it. It's beautiful you have found that courage and that direction. I think, yes, I think uh, it comes with the time and uh, that we don't want to fall for weaknesses. You want to be, you want to be just um, developing constantly. I think that's part of the, you know, the mindset that I'm in lately with my teaching career where I, you know, I talk to the students and I can tell how a lot of them unfortunately fall for this fixed mindset, that laziness or just ignorance. And um, and I try to find ways to take them out of that comfortable zone. And, and this is what drives people into mistakes and into weaknesses. So it's uh, people with, uh, you know, who have been through such events, life-changing events like MS and others, it's very difficult to find a, a real connection with the regular people outside. They just don't, they can't understand. And 
they they choose the weak side. That's all they do. But you can't tell them that. That's a really great perspective, right? And even hard to recognize. Right. It's, um, you know, that's the way we see it. Would you consider that to be a superpower that you've gained? Definitely the superpowers are the consistency. Like it became even stronger for me. And and then the desire for progression. So to be being proactive. This is how I see it. And uh, this is the way out of this hole that for some reason we fell and, and we tried to find out the way. Well, and it's beautiful that you found or at least noticed the improvements, right? And do you think that that helped drive you to continue in your discipline is just noticing the benefits that you experienced and realizing like, okay, so if I can continue to do this, then I should continue to see these benefits. Truly, yes. Uh, you you, you got to have some sort of a, mm, some, you got to feel some benefits in order to continue uh, pushing in certain direction. Um, because if you just put effort and you never see any results, it's, it's easy to be discouraged. Generally, my overall, or the position that I stand at right now, I don't want to say there's a fix that's what's going to happen because it may change, it may improve. But my general plan for now is, I also heard this from one of your other guests, um, once I do the HSCT in Moscow, and you know, depending how the results are, I'll be happy to definitely stop these uh, DMTs. And if I need to, or maybe even without needing to, I would go and do another just mesenchymal stem cell um, infusion later on. And if it ends up that I need to do it more regularly, maybe I would do it. I would just focus all my income and all my uh, work into spending money for that. You know, it doesn't seem like a 100% decision, like, okay, you're cured, but we don't really aim for that. As you know, we aim for not to progress and then maybe improve ourselves. This is, this is a game plan. If you have huge expectations, and uh, here's the problem. If some people get to do the HSCT right away, like some lucky people, but at the same time, they're not that lucky because they haven't experienced the, the options. Uh, they haven't gained enough wisdom that we as long-term MS patients have yeah, had going sure. through that fight, right? And that's how we build our characters. Indeed. Indeed. So is there anything that you're grateful for in your experience that maybe has gone unspoken? I think I've been uh, quite privileged to, to have access to what I do have. Um, I know other people would never have even a chance of seeing what I saw, especially coming from a country like Bulgaria, especially from days like I was born in the 80s and and then in the 90s and early 2000s, Bulgaria was quite poor after the um, end of the communism. So the many people ended up being a lot poorer and not just not having access to information the way I managed to access so much information. Mm. So yes, definitely it was my own effort, but it was also, it was just, you know, in a way, privilege. And um, I'm thankful for that. It's nice to find that uh, recognition of 
what you have access to just to knowledge that some so many people don't even have access to finding that knowledge or research. That's truly the sad part where, again, it goes back to, to complacement and to fear of pushing the unknown. As I've read in a book uh, by Jordan Peterson, the life is pretty much balance of, of chaos and, uh, and order. So if you have too much of order, there is no progression. And if it's too much chaos, you cannot handle that. It's, it's going to kill you. So you got to have that. You got to find this balance of, of order and introducing certain amount of chaos, uh, you know, which you can handle. And this is going to propel you forward. This is, in other words, constructive theory, just adding new knowledge to, to the old ones. Brilliant. And you have experienced those bonuses in so many ways. Good for you for staying disciplined and and open to knowledge, right? And and finding your way. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for for your work and for your support. Um, I definitely would like to continue participating in our meets. Wonderful. And of course, we'd love to catch up and hear how it goes in Russia once you get there. Fingers crossed. Yes, uh, definitely. We'll uh, touch base on this one. And so all the best to you as you continue your patience in in seeking HSET and finding the right timing for yourself. I think it's so tricky. And part of that balancing act, right, is figuring out the best timing to go, but then also how you can recover in the best ways possible and be supported. So it's brilliant that you have your support of family in back home in Bulgaria to recover. Thank you. Thank you. I promise to do my best and uh, we'll see how it's going to work out. Yeah. So in the meantime, we'll see you hopefully in the social hours. And if there's any way we can support you along the way, be sure to let us know. Okay. Sure. Thank you. So thank you for sharing your story, Yavor. Thank you, Jen. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org, where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.